Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of the WAM Podcast. It's an honor to host this podcast where listeners get to hear candid conversations with amazing female leaders. Not only do you get to hear their stories, but you'll hear their personal and professional challenges. And also you'll hear about what they're giving back to their communities and oftentimes the world. I hope that you find their stories to be as inspirational as we do. And joining me today are two dynamic entrepreneurs who are changing how women and companies find each other. In 2015, Gina Hadley and her co-founder, Jenny Galuzzo, launched The Second Shift. It's a platform that connects women representing the most experienced freelance talent out there to companies that understand the value of female diversity in the workforce. So without further ado, join me in a warm welcome to Gina and Jenny. Hello. Hi, Linda. Hello, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. I'm, I'm delighted to have you on the show. I'm, I'm also a happy member of uh, the, the Second Shift. That's fantastic. So, thanks. So let's let's kick it off with you, Jenny, if we could. Um, perhaps you can tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and just what made you start the Second Shift with Gina? Sure. My story is that I was working in television journalism for the better part of a decade and had my first son and realized that it was time for me to make a little bit of a career sidestep. I wanted to use the skills and experience I had in journalism, but was trying to figure out like, who's going to hire me and what can I do? And there was a profound lack of confidence and also a feeling that I didn't really know where I belonged at the time because I wasn't interested in doing what I had done, but I didn't know who, what, what value I had at that time in the business world. And I knew that there were a lot of women in the same place and that technology was really shifting and changing and that the workforce was shifting and changing. And so Gina, who is a friend I had known was in the same similar place with a different story was we had talked about it and we thought, okay, there's an opportunity here. There are all these sidelined women who are so talented and there's all these companies that want access to these women. How do we connect them? And that was the genesis for the second shift. Ah, okay. And, and Gina, why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how, how does the business model work? Um, so my story is different than Jenny's in that I um, had a great career in advertising and I fell in love with the boy that works on 11 and we moved to this <laughs> teeny little town called Seattle in 1998. And at that point there was no career in advertising for me there. And so I started my freelance career early. I was a consultant before I think it was in vogue. And I also, we also moved across the country five times in four or five years. And so Oh, it was wow. really hard for me to have a traditional career, but I had a background in marketing and advertising and brand building. And so I started a consulting business. But when I met Jenny, we had just finally moved back to New York for the last and final time. And it was a synergy where we had this conversation over and over again about all of these women that we knew that were trying to keep working, trying to practice their skills, and the traditional workplace had failed them. So that is, it was, it was there were lots of different reasons why it all worked out perfectly. I think we were also lucky that we understood this trend of flexible work and the acceptance of the gig economy early on and were able to see that this could be a vehicle to retain this critical female talent in the workplace. So, so tell us how the second shift works. How, how, what's the model? So the model is one um, that a lot of people are familiar with on a two-sided marketplace. We have we, we say that we have two different sets of um, clients. We have our members, of which you are a 
proud vetted part of um, our membership is now over 2,000 women strong. We've, we've vetted and onboarded these women who are the best at what they do. And then we connect them on the other side of the marketplace with employers who are looking for this talent, solving their HR and critical needs by posting projects on our website. And it is a really nice and seamless way for companies to find the talent and for our members to find projects that are within their skill set and worthy of their, um, their consideration. Hmm. That's, and I can definitely attest to that as a member. What I do remember I was being struck by was the, the rigorous vetting process that you guys employ. What are the most important criteria that you look for within outside of direct experience with a member? I think that Jenny has it down, but for us, on, for, for me on the business development side of it, I need to present a membership whose tagline is, I got this. No matter mm. what area it is, that they can seamlessly integrate themselves into these projects without an enormous amount of onboarding. Okay. And, and go ahead, Jenny, you were going to say? We have a four-step vetting process on the member side, and that includes looking at what skills you bring, what experience you've had, what types of companies that you've worked for, how long you've been in the workforce. We check two references. We do a pretty deep dive into who you are and making sure that your skills and your experience match what your references say. And then we schedule a personal interview over the phone where we get to know you a little bit better to make sure that we can make a successful match between you and the different jobs that we have coming up. And that's a pretty big job with 2,000 members. It's incredibly time consuming, but, um, but I will say the journalist in me is very curious and finds it all very intriguing to know who people are and what their motivations are. And I never leave a phone call with somebody where I'm not actually like really interested in what they have to say and what their life story is like. And there's a smidge of it that becomes a little bit of like a life coach, career coaching, because people always come in and they're in this transitional phase and you're talking to them through a really tricky point in time for them. Yeah, no, no. And I remember that. I remember talking to Gina. I think it was you that I originally had spoken to and just was thoroughly impressed. Oh, well, thank you. I, I think that we are always so grateful that our members put their trust in us. And so we want to make sure that everybody is fully prepared for what this freelance career journey looks like. Yeah. And, and Jenny, just back to you for a second. I, I saw you on a recent um, Today Show interview, and you were talking about the fact that 43% of women in the middle of their careers will leave the workforce and then later come back. Um, I also heard, that, I believe it was the New York Times interviewed the uh, the former chair of PepsiCo, who said that it's, it's not so much that there's a diversity issue, more that there's a leaky pipeline. Can you speak to that? Sure. The um, And the 43%, I've been doing some research into that, and I think it's actually the percentages have shrunk in the last decade, which is great news, but it's still a long way to go because women enter the workforce at a nearly 50% participation, yet only 5% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women. So where women fall off are in those the leaky pipeline, they call it, the years between 35 to 45 in the or the messy middle and we there's myriad reasons why women leave trailing spouse like gina children and an, an inflexible work environment um taking care of elderly parents or women are just active consultants and see that there are opportunities out there outside of full-time employment that are really viable 
And so we, we have to keep women engaged. The mission of the second shift is to help companies attract and retain critical female talent. We need more women in leadership positions so they make systemic changes that trickle down and that women can stay in the workforce because those changes are more accommodating. Mm-hmm. So in one in that same interview, I believe you had a member on as well, and she, she talked about how a career break can also be a breakthrough. What, what does she mean by that? Oh, I thought she was amazing. Caroline, she is a, just a terrific spokesperson for the second shift and an example of the type of women in our network where she left the workforce. She's been actively consulting. It's completely changed her life in the sense that she has a much more autonomy and freedom than she did. She's making money. She has a young daughter that she's spending time with. And at some point in time when she wants to go back to work full time, if she chooses to, she'll be able to because she didn't take a full step out of the workforce, which is a much more difficult proposition to come back in after an extensive period of time. And I think for a lot of women, Seeing that they can do this, that you're not tied to the career you had, that you have a lot of flexibility and the ability to adapt and change and sell yourself and who you are as a person and who you are as a worker are one and the same and then be able to to be able to market yourself and sell yourself and see the power you have as an individual is is a breakthrough for a lot of women. So, it, but it's interesting because if it's if a number of women are leaving to start families and then come back. That doesn't necessarily help you in getting that leadership position. You know, when you talk about 5% of the, the boards are, are female, I mean, that's a really small number. It's less than that now. Well, as long as, <laughs> and as long as we keep women going so they can step into the workforce and work how they need to work at different points in time, but they're not stepping off completely, there's no reason to think that those women won't rise up in the ranks into those leadership positions. Right, right. So it really it helps them keep their skills sharpened. It helps them keep their skills sharpened, but I think even more importantly, it keeps them in the dialogue. It makes employers realize that there are lots of a myriad of ways to keep this talent engaged. And it doesn't have to be the traditional career path, which is honestly changing for everybody at this point. This is not just a women's issue. You know, the fact that they just came out with a study that says, you know, the average millennial is going to switch jobs 10 times in their career. So we're looking at a whole rethinking of what a career path looks like. Mm. And interesting, too, McKinsey had done a study, and numerous others have, where they, you know, they really point to the fact that companies that have more women in them in leadership positions tend to be more profitable. If this is true, why aren't more companies paying close attention to gender diversity? I think that they are paying attention to gender diversity. We're just asking them also to break a model that has worked for them, you know, time immemorial. So it takes a while, I think, for institutions to catch up. And we have a lot of empathy for the clients that we work with, especially the enterprise, the larger clients that are juggling so many other requirements when it comes to what HR and talent look like for them. So what we, part of the reason that Jenny and I built the second shift the way that we did was we wanted it to to be a deployable, immediate solution for talent needs. And that can help create a culture in which you start to look at the way you are sourcing. Because if you keep going back to the same well and hiring the same people over and over again, you're going to get the same results. So I, I think that companies 
are trying. It's just, we all know that when you're in the trenches, when you have to do something immediately, you're, if you, if Bob has always done it for you, you're just going to call Bob again or someone who looks like Bob. And so what we need right. to do is have some of these really extraordinary measures that companies are talking about out loud. They have to make sure they give their internal staff the ability to fulfill that promise even when business objectives may have to shift a little bit in order to, you know, meet those numbers or those quotas or those criteria. The other thing I would add to that is that when Gina and I launched this business, which is coming up on, I think, five years when we started this idea, the, there were no diversity and inclusion officers. This conversation wasn't even happening. We we were introducing a concept and a way of working that didn't exist. That we alerted a lot of companies to a problem they didn't know they had. So in a very short period of time, the conversation has changed dramatically. And we're just happy to be along for the ride and helping companies be able to see the issue they have and solve it. But I, I do think that this is forefront on many, many, especially the larger companies out there and on their minds, gender diversity is, is a number one priority in hiring in many organizations. And we have so to, I, I think, oh, sorry, just to, like, we have to also thank big tech because these were companies uh, that were built by dreamers and optimists and forward thinking. And I think that we've seen with companies, whether it's, you know, Microsoft or t even Twitter and Facebook, you know, they may not be doing everything right. But they have they have set themselves to a higher standard, and so now everybody has to follow up behind them. Interesting, yeah. So they they become the the coaches. Yeah, so, I think so. so. How do you how do you go about getting on the radar of these kinds of companies? Um, I spend a lot of time on an airplane. One of the <laughs> things, I mean, we have we have done a really good job, I think, of disseminating our story, whether it be through speaking engagements, podcasts like this. Um, we have done all of our press has been organic. And even the Today Show story that Jenny got was not something we we pitched them, but it wasn't like, but this was something they were super interested in Jenny's story. And that's how it came to be. I mean, it is a lot. I mean, it's old fashioned business development. I go to a lot of meetings. I meet with a lot of stakeholders. And luckily, you know, I spent my life calling on people and working with them non-traditionally. So I have stakeholders in lots of companies. And then it, the, the word gets spread. We're very lucky. I think that we're in New York. We're in a very connected community. We're also in a very connected community of women who are so helpful and gracious with their introductions. Our members especially are great about introducing us to former employees or people that they used to work with. And so we are able to ride on the relationships. And then it's then we have a sales team that, you know, does a lot of very, very data-driven outreach. And that's how it works. So can you maybe give us some examples of some of your uh, your, your bigger success stories? And, and don't say me. <laughs> um, well, I think that there are a couple of companies that are very happy for us to talk about the successes that we've had, like Microsoft and Twitter. They are working really hard and diligently to try to uh, break old habits and bring in more diverse candidates and also to embrace this gig economy for all the benefits that they get for their full-time employees who need the backup and the resources. And then there are small businesses that really punch above their weight when they are able to engage with one of our members. And whether it's, you know, a small skincare company who's launching a new product line and we can bring in, 
you know, a former pro, a CMO from one of the big cosmetic companies to help them with best practices and market share. I mean, those engagements that our members have in smaller and growing companies are so important for those leaders who need that expertise at that moment, but really in real life couldn't afford to hire that person full time. Yeah, no, it, it really is a win-win. So what are the characteristics? I mean, when we talk about women who are coming back into the, the workforce, what are the things that we're doing, you know, that people say that sometimes that we're doing our own self-sabotage. What are the things that women do that, that you wish you could say, stop that, or you've got to prevent that? I would say that that undervaluing themselves and having a lack of confidence, coming into something and feeling that they don't have, they don't deserve what they're being paid or undervaluing what they should charge for their services is a critical step that women need to take to overcome that that gender equality gap. I mean, it's Equal Pay Day. Uh, we, it's March is International Women's Month. You know, these are all things that we talk about all the time, but it's it's something that happens in women's minds that we have to force them to get over to, to ask for what they want, to to price themselves appropriately, to sell themselves with confidence. Why aren't we doing that, though? What are we doing? Why is it that we're, we're undervaluing ourselves? I don't think as we don't train talk about money the same way with young women that we do with young men in our circles as women, even adult women, we don't talk about how much we make. We don't talk about our compensation. We don't talk about what we're investing in. We don't, you know, get each other in on deals. I think that's changing. But I think culturally, we have to be very cognizant of the way that we raise young men and women and to have both boys and girls understand that the value is in doing a good job, but also getting paid for that job. We always joke, you know, the joke is that you know, a first-time candidate, a woman wants to make sure she can run for dog catcher and the man is planning his presidential run. You know, as women, <laughs> we feel like we have to be 100% prepared for everything. And that's not actually the way the world works. There was an extraordinary New York Times article that about how girls do homework and boys, and I live it in my house every day, where my 16-year-old daughter does 35 note cards when only 10 are required and my son does six. And in the end, they're preparing themselves differently for life. And work doesn't always reward the person that sits and does the 35 note cards. Sometimes it's the person who just gets the six done and gets on with it that actually is the one that ends up getting the promotion. So how do we figure we'll out? We'll have... Uh, Go ahead, Jenny. Go ahead. I was going to say, we have experience here where women will pitch themselves for a job or we'll reach out to them and say, this job is perfect for you. Why haven't you pitched it? Oh, well, I don't have that one thing that they said that they wanted. I said, but you match on nine others. Mm. For nine of the 10 things, you're a perfect fit and you're going to you're going to fix it on that one thing. Why not just put your, you know, yourself out there and say, you know, this is who I am. This is why I'm uniquely qualified for this experience. I'm sorry. I don't have this one thing, but here's all the others. And, and it's something that women don't naturally do and it takes a little bit of a push sometimes to get them to to own up to the fact that they are are not they're missing out on opportunities because they're not really willing to put themselves out there like that. That's a really interesting point. I, I look, I see myself doing it too. It, it's almost like there's a, somebody was talking about there was an article about them, how women apologize all the time. We're always saying I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and you know a man doesn't do that in the same way. 
and so it's this innate belief or, or a feeling that we're not, you know, we're, we can't apply for that because we don't have those skill sets. When a man might be thinking, you know, I could get that, or I had a little bit, good enough. Yeah, and it's or a why confidence. not me? Yeah, right. why not me? Yeah, interesting. So, I mean, we're, we're good on time, but I wanted to ask each of you, if you were, knowing what you know now, right? Easy, e easily said. Um, looking back, what advice would you give to yourself in your 20s or 30s? What would you be saying? What conversation would you be having? For me, I think that, look, I had a great time in my 20s and 30s. I love the life that I lived. I wouldn't have started the second shift if I hadn't kind of thrown caution to the wind and left my beautiful, cushy job in advertising and moved to the Pacific Northwest in my 20s. But one of the things that I know looking back that I should have done is I should have been far more vocal about the triumphs that I had and own them and not, as you said, apologize for the things that I didn't know. And I know I can see there are points in my career where I could have taken a step quicker if I had just said, you know, I'm going to fake it till I make it. That's my mm -hmm. mantra now. So it works out super well for us. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what about you, Jenny? I wish I had kept in touch more with the networks I had at those ages. I feel like it, in retrospect, LinkedIn didn't exist and social networks didn't exist in the same way they do now that makes it so easy. But I, I see the importance of having your work networks and mentors and to keeping those people as you move along through jobs because what, as you get older, you, you can call on them, you know them, they know you, you rely on each other. And there's a tremendous value in that. I do have to say, we, I mean, part of the, the success that we have had is the fact that I was able to tap in to people that I knew from my jobs in my 20s. Um, but I think it was a very different, more traditional workplace than Jenny and working in TV news, where folks were everywhere at all times. So do you think that men are just better when it comes to, I mean, you think about the old boys network, are they better at networking? I it's think different. They network yeah. differently. Yeah. I think they like to talk about money and they like to talk about deals and they don't. And one of the things that Jenny and I are also, you know, we, we run a company of all women right now. You know, the culture of not wanting to hurt anybody's feelings is real. Mm. And I think that you have to be able to also have pragmatic and real conversations when there are, when difficulties arise. And I think that sometimes as women, the emotional part of us is really what makes us far more, I think, suited to in leadership roles, but it's also one that holds you back from having difficult conversations. So instead of I think in the past, I just want to interject one thing in the past. Also men networked on the golf course, they networked at country clubs, they networked at private clubs, and there weren't the same areas where women in business had the ability to go. And now there are so many people who are creating spaces like that, whether it's conferences for women or co-working spaces for women or professional advancement organizations. And so there, that does exist now in a way that I don't think existed 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. That's a really good point. And, and also, I mean, frankly, aren't we busier? I mean, we're still balancing the family. We're still balancing the, you know, all the home life stuff. There's a lot more. It makes it networking takes time and effort and energy. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that we also need to do is as a group of professional women is also be kinder with each other. I think that we're all, um, we have the ability 
to put ourselves in our other sister's shoes. And I think that we're really good at that. And we just, we have to do that professionally as well as, as well as we do personally. It's interesting too, when you, when you talk about that, I, I was thinking about a, a, an experience at, at an earlier job when I was first starting out and I worked for a woman who had really recreated the, the old boys network. And when I look back and I think when she was starting out, she was in a, a very male dominated industry. And for her to rise to the top, she had to play with the boys. So she literally created this whole network and how it works. And that's really what you were touching on earlier, right? I believe so. And I think that, I mean, you know, we are a far away from working girl where you wore a suit and a tie. And so, you know, the fact that Jenny and I are basically sitting in a meditation room at our workspace goes to show you that <laughs> professional women are embracing all sides of themselves and none of it is a detriment. I love it. A meditation room. Oh. Oh, yeah. It's very cozy. Yeah. And, and it works. It works. I mean, there's and studies that say to increase productivity. So what's the next step for the second shift? Where, where do you guys see yourselves next year and in five years? World domination. We, <laughs> I was gonna say, we, uh, we recognize that we are, um, we are specific right now to a specific geography in the sense that we're based in New York. The majority of them we work with are here or in San Francisco. We proved out our model in these areas, and now we're going to move into new cities in the next year. And outside of geography, we also want to capture women who are younger, who are coming up into the ages in which they may want to step out of the workforce and make sure that they know of the second shift as a solution. So going towards a younger audience, as well as building up for the women who are board seat applicable, making sure that there's a practice that we have where we can go and find board seats for those women in our network who, who would be great candidates. Do you currently offer that? The board seats, do you do any kind of matching on that? We've done some beta matching for that, and that's something we will be doing more of. And we're still in our in beta testing it. Okay, that sounds great. Je Jenny, did you want to add anything to that? One of the things that it, just once again for us to be able to break the mold of what it looks like to be a board member, you know, we often hear, "Well, they've never sat on a board before." Well, if you you have to sit on the first board to sit on your next board, so we're working with partners who understand that first-time board members bring real value and you can't discount somebody. Because if you keep discounting somebody for that reason, you're never going to get anybody diverse. Right, right. No, excellent point. Thank you. Any, any last thoughts for either one of you for our female listeners? We're super excited Join to be us. Talking, yeah, <laughs> talking to a different demographic. I mean, I think your experience with us, Linda, was one that opened up a whole purview of different jobs. And, and I think that one of the things that Jenny and I are constantly overwhelmed by is how gracious um, our network is. So we thank you so much. And all of the listeners get in touch with us and figure out what we're doing and, and spread the news. Okay. Well, we'll do. We'll do. All right. Well, thank, thank you, Linda, so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we're at the end of our show. Gina, Jenny, thank you. What excellent insights. Um, I love what you're doing and wish you all the very best. Um, if you Happy like equal pay day. Yeah, that's right. And if you'd like to yep. find out more about the second shift, whether you're a member or if you're a company who wants to tap into their excellent network, go to www.thesecondshift.com. That's thesecondshift.com. And thanks to all of our listeners. We'll look forward to seeing you on our next program. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. 
Thank you for joining the WAM Podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.